Well, if you would, turn to Philippians 2. If you just joined us, we're walking through this brief epistle ever so slowly. We will finish before Christmas, I assure you. Lord willing. I shouldn't say I assure you, Lord willing. And uh, we're in chapter 2, starting in verse 19. And this whole section is hinged on a verse found back in 27 of chapter 1, and that is he's called individuals to walk worthy of the gospel. And that command is carried over. And in it, Paul has laid out what we call, he's called, he's given us some role models. And that was why I asked the question, you know, who is your role model in your life? Uh, I love this. My client pleads not guilty, Your Honor, on the grounds it's so hard to find a decent role model these days. Uh, so there you are. Uh, but when it comes to role models, Paul starts with Christ, right? In that whole, what we call the kenosis passage, and we dealt with that. If you don't know what that word means, that's all right. We, we dealt with that term. Then Paul himself, he, he's not afraid to say, here's my life as well as an example for you. Well, today we're going to look at two individuals. In fact, some scholars believe verses 19 through 30 of chapter 2 shouldn't even be in the, in the epistle. They think, well, this is an afterthought. Why would he include this? Well, I think it fits very well because he's given us Christ. He's given himself, and now he's going to lay out two little individuals, one by the name of Timothy, who we'll talk about in a minute, and the other <clears throat> is Epaphroditus, which uh, apart from the book of Philippians, we know little about, but we can piece some things together, and we'll talk about that as well. So let's go to the text. Verse 19 of chapter 2. Now, he says, I hope in the Lord, or in other words, Lord willing, he says, uh, to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by hearing news about you. For there is no one here like him who will readily demonstrate his deep concern for you. Others are busy with their own concerns, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his qualifications, that like a son working with his father, he served with me in advancing the gospel. So I hope to send him to you soon, so I know more about my situation, though I am confident in the Lord that I too will be coming to you soon. But for now, I've considered it necessary to send Epaphroditus to you. Now remember that whole scene, right? The church had sent Epaphroditus to Paul to minister to him. So, you know, this doesn't come across, you know, that was a gift to you. Why are you giving it back to us, right? Well, Paul tells us this. He says, first of all, he identifies he's my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to me and my need. Indeed, he greatly missed all of you and was distressed because you heard that he had been ill. In fact, he became so ill, he nearly died, uh, which they didn't apparently know. But God showed mercy to him and not to him only, but also to me, so that I should not have grief on top of grief. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you can rejoice and I can be free from anxiety. So welcome him and the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, since it was because of the work of Christ that he almost died, and he, asked, he risked his life so that he could make up for your inability to serve me. Uh, again, the text reads, you would expect this at the end of the epistle, wouldn't you? Uh, you think about Romans, for instance, you know, so-and-so greets you, Heracitus from Corinth greets you. So why is this nestled here? Again, I think he's, he's illustrating what he's been calling them to do, and that is to walk worthy of the gospel. 
Christ is, again, the prime example. We've, we've dealt with Paul, but now we come to Timothy. Let's look at Timothy. He says, my dear friends, or he says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy. What do we know about Timothy? Help me out. What do we know about this fellow? I'm sorry? Uh, well, he has two epistles named after him, doesn't he? First and Second Timothy. What else do we know? Godly mother and grandmother. Godly, godly mother and grandmother who are Jewish. His father is Jewish or Greek? Greek. Greek. Yep. What else do we know about Timothy? He struggled with timidity. <laughs> yeah, well, he struggled as a... He was obviously young in age. That created some problems. When was he saved? Most likely, or which, which missionary journey did Paul meet Timothy? Most likely the first one. And it's the second missionary journey that Timothy will join. Titus, by the way, is also met on Paul's first missionary journey, but he doesn't join until the third. And I think the reason being is he didn't have a godly mother and grandmother who had trained him well. Timothy was already well-versed in Scripture, at least the Hebrew Scriptures. That's Hoffman's theory. That was free. But... So, uh, second missionary journey, Timothy joins Paul, which means, by the way, when did Paul, which missionary journey did Paul enter Philippi? Second. So, who was present in Acts chapter 16 when Paul gets to Philippi? Timothy was there, right? No wonder Paul can say, you, you know this guy, right? Notice what he says. You know, verse 22, his qualifications. They've seen Timothy in action. Now, he wasn't, Timothy wasn't arrested and beaten like Paul and Silas. At least the text doesn't tell us. <clears throat> Look at Acts 16. This is really significant. <clears throat> Later in Hebrews, we are told that Timothy is imprisoned. And church tradition states he was a martyr. But in 16.1, this is Paul's second missionary journey. He also came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple named Timothy was there, right? So now he's a follower of Christ, the son of a Jewish woman. We see that. The brothers, watch this in verse 2. The brothers in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took, because he's going to take John Mark's place, and he took him, circumcised him because of the Jews who were in these places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Uh, Paul doesn't want anything to distract from the gospel. He realizes that's not essential for the gospel salvation, but he doesn't want to distract. So we know that Timothy was circumcised later in life. We, we, we know a lot about this fellow, right? And again, two books in the New Testament are named after him. Eventually, where does Timothy serve? When Paul writes 2 Timothy, he write, he's at Ephesus. I mean, of all the batons to hand to Timothy, he gives Timothy the mothership. The church, this is like the Moody Church of Chicago, right? I mean, the, to, give him, to give him Ephesus, that's huge. Titus gets Crete, which is strategic, but uh, Ephesus it, it kind of uh, probably serves as the sending church all over modern Turkey or in that region. So, uh, again, just to reiterate, he's a vital associate of the Companion of Paul, he joins Paul on his second missionary journey. Thus, the church at Philippi know Timothy. They've met him. 
And third, he fulfills the important roles in the early church. It's Timothy who will deliver the letter to Thessaloniki. He's the one who delivered the letter to Corinth. And again, he serves as the head overseer at Ephesus. Significant. But why Timothy? Why, are you send- why would he start with Timothy and why are you sending him back? Well, number one, that's the role that Timothy often does. But T- Paul highlights several reasons. Number one, he says, no one knows the mind better than Timothy. My mind, is Paul speaking. Uh, he recognizes they are very in step. And I think that's a, one of the reasons why Timothy comes to the forefront in ministry time and time again. Uh, it's intriguing, right? There's a close relationship, so close. And we'll talk about this in a minute, that Paul uses the imagery of a father and a son, which is not foreign to Scripture. Secondly, Timothy cares deeply for the Philippian believers. Why? Because he was there, right? He knows Lydia. He knows Epaphroditus' family, undoubtedly so. Philippi wasn't that big of a Roman colony. And, and, and we're told that he has deep concern, and that term is loaded. It, it means great anxiety. He's deeply moved for these people. Uh, I think you've used this analogy before. Many of you are involved in uh, you've been involved in a missions trip and you've maybe led someone to the Lord. You often think about them, don't you? Uh, wondering how they're doing and growing in the faith, etc. Third, <clears throat> Timothy is not consumed with his own needs. Right? And it seems a little condescending here when Paul says, or a little I mean, notice what he says in verse 23, others are busy with their own concerns. It seems a little uncharitable, right? I mean, after all, Epaphroditus is there. So how, how can you say that about him? And one commentator, I think, highlights it, that Timothy serves as an exception to the general rule. In other words, the remark that Paul gives is an evaluation of the world around him. Uh, rather than singling out Timothy and saying, yeah, he's better than the rest. Um, I, I think in general, and what he sees in this world, Timothy is unique, and he rises to the top. And that fits then with the next statement that his character is proven, not just to Paul, but as you see in verse 22, his character is proven to the church. This term proven, Paul uses seven times in his writings. And he uses this idea that is proven like a son working with his father. And as I mentioned, that imagery goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It's an image that was used of Elijah and Elisha. And I quote from the Babylonian Talmud there on page two. It says, when a man teaches the son of another the Torah... The scriptures treat him as if he had begotten him. Isn't that interesting? So um, maybe that's true in coaching as well. I don't know. Uh, If you coach a group of guys, you become like their dad. Or if you're a teacher, uh, there's a sense of this this relationship that's unique. And, 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 And so that's what Paul's saying. And he uses the term, my son, doesn't he, elsewhere of Timothy and of Titus, by the way. Um, we see that in several places. So, why Timothy? Well, Paul tells us. It's very clear. This is why I'm sending him. Uh, he's stellar. But notice what he says at the very end. 
Uh, I hope to send him soon as I know more about my situation. There is a uh, hesitation in sending him. Why? We don't know. It could be that Timothy's involved in the legal process with Paul in Rome. Perhaps there's a ministry going on in Rome where Timothy is needed. We don't know. The text does not tell us. But then Paul says, but far greater is when I come, right? Verse 24, but I am confident in the Lord, Lord willing again, I too will be coming to see you soon. So uh, either way, uh, Paul is intending on coming. Even if Timothy sent, I, I will be there. So you, you catch the affection for the church, don't you? But you also catch this great role model for the church, and that is Timothy. Here's one who wants... But then he takes it even more into their, into their camp because he gives us Epaphroditus uh, here in verse 25, which sounds like a disease. This name was very common in the first century, believe it or not. I wouldn't recommend calling your son Epaphroditus. They may not make it through third grade, but... <clears throat> It was a common first century name. It meant lovely or charming, all the more not to use it in the state. But anyway, uh, feel free. The reason it was so popular, it was derived from the goddess Epaphroditus. Epaphrodite. That's where the name originates, the goddess of love. And everyone knows uh, there's temples all over the ancient world. Uh, the most common location was at uh, Corinth. Uh, the Acropolis. I've had the chance to go up a little bit up to the Acropolis. Uh, Chris Waterman can tell you a story where uh, he almost got bit by a snake, at, right? I think that was the story there. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe they're leftovers from. Um, but uh, this cultic practice tells us what most likely about Epaphroditus family. They were worshipers of this goddess right? Why would you name your kid after Epaphrodite unless you followed her, right? Um, and, and so uh, he most likely is a convert from this cultic um, religion, which was very popular. Uh, she's also named Venus in, in the Roman uh, era. So if you know your mythology, I do not. Anyway, we'll move on. What does he say about Epaphrodite? He gives us several terms that he uses. He says he's my brother, which again shows affection, but also uh, a common faith. Uh, <clears throat> he's a co-worker, a term Paul uses frequently in his writings. Uh, that's a common term he uses. He's a fellow soldier, another term that Paul loves to use. And then he also mentions he's a messenger for the church and he's a minister from, from the church. In other words, the first three deal with his relationship Epaphrodite's relationship with Paul. The latter two deal with uh, Epaphrodite's relationship with the church at Philippi. And so you see this. This is a great leader. This is a, an incredible role model. I mean, we've already seen the church sent... They, they didn't sit in second class to go serve to Paul, did they? They served one of their best, um, which is much to say about missions, but we won't, we won't go there today. Um, sending your best. But in verse 26, he says, he was greatly distressed. Timothy's upset and concerned. This isn't the same term in the Greek. This term is used of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So you get the idea. He is very upset, very concerned about the church because they have heard that he is ill. 
This is another side note, but in times past in Paul's ministries, he healed people immediately. So the, you don't see the, the, the healing process, uh, faith in, you know, the miracle signs seem to, at this point, you know, why didn't Paul just heal him if he had the, the gift? So there seems to be a waning or something going on here. It's intriguing. Uh, I'm not saying that signs gifts have ceased, all right? Uh, there's, God can work any way he sees fit. I don't know, just be very clear there, but it's interesting. In fact, he says he became so ill that he nearly died. And then he says, I would have had grief upon grief. Now, this is interesting because earlier, Paul says, I prefer to die. So why would he have grief upon grief that Epaphroditus was going to die? Wouldn't he be excited? He gets to be with the Lord. Yay. Why would Paul grieve here? Micah? cared more for him than he did himself. All right, what else? <clears throat> Look at verse 24 of chapter 1. <clears throat> Paul says in 124, though he said, I would prefer to be with the Lord. It's far better that I live. He says in verse 24, why? Because it's more vital for your sake that I remain. For the sake of the ministry, I think that's why Paul is grieving over Epaphroditus. And Bill, you mentioned your friend Bob. Uh, you know, uh, he's done so much for the cause of Christ. Um, why God's allowing that, we don't know. But the idea here is Paul saying, I, I would greatly grieve for the sake of the ministry, for the sake that is all going on here. Uh, I, I think that's what's driving this. He then gives us in three verses the reasons why he's sending Epaphroditus. He gives us two. Notice those? First of all, so the church can rejoice. Uh, Paul is continually interested in the well-being of others, isn't he, for the cause of Christ. And so, number one, he says, I'm sending him so you can rejoice. And then secondly, I can be relieved because he's back with you. And I know how much he has been, has met to you. I know how he can serve you. Having him back in your midst to train and equip you is good. Uh, I'm grateful that you sent him, but this is vital. So he gives us two reasons for why he's sending, and then Paul gives us two responses that should stem from the sending of Epaphroditus. Number one, he says the church should welcome. I put E because I couldn't spell Epaphroditus, didn't have space. All right, he, he, The church can welcome E, <clears throat> the, the church should greet him. That kind of goes without saying, don't you think? But there could be some question as to what, why did you get sick? Why weren't you serving? You know, and Paul says, forget all that. Welcome him. And secondly, he says, you're to honor him. You're to give him a hero's welcome. Uh, and, and why? Because he tells us in verse 30 that he was willing to die for the cause of Christ. In fact, he says <clears throat> in, in verse 30, there's a phrase, he risked his life. Do you see that? This is in the net Bible, uh, so that he could make up for your inability to serve me. Um, that risked his life is a term used by gamblers in rolling a dice. Epaphroditus not only was the goddess of love, she was also the goddess for the gamblers. Isn't that interesting? Uh, so you know the uh, those who have a 
particular saint, the taxi drivers, etc. Uh, those running the casinos had a, maybe a statue of Epaphroditus because she was the goddess of gambling. And, and I love that. I, I think there's more going on here than what first might meet the eye. I think what Paul's saying is, hey, Epaphroditus didn't risk his life to a goddess of chance. He, he gave it to a god of certainty, Right? He knows the end game because it's all in God's hands. So this isn't a roll of a dice when he risked his life because the rewards, you know, again, uh, I quoted, I think a couple weeks ago, Howard Henrik said, you know, an effective ministry has a high price tag, but I want to add the line, and it's worth every penny, right? And Epaphroditus can testify to that. Yeah, it almost cost me my life, but it was worth it all, right, to be able to do this. And then Paul makes another statement which seems to be, ooh, you know, uh, careful, Paul. He says, for your inability to serve me, as if they're inadequate. I don't think he's saying that. He's just saying you didn't have the opportunity to come to Rome like Epaphroditus did. So that's, that's what he's saying. You all couldn't just pack your bags and come over like Epaphras did. And, and so for that, I'm grateful that he did come. Questions on this, this scene? These two role models? We're going to compare them in a minute because that's vital, really, to what we've been looking at. Epaphroditus did not have the mind of Paul, though. He wasn't a writer or a scribe or anything, was he? It doesn't appear that he's a writer or, I mean, we don't have any writings from him. It does appear that Epaphroditus is delivering the letter, right? Because uh, he says, I'm sending him to you, an indication he's probably taking the letter back. Um, good question, yeah. Well, let's do something because I want to tie this together with role models. I'd like us to spend some time, and we've got it, to compare these two men. I'm going to give you a couple minutes in your tables. Is spend some, some time here looking at these two individuals and, 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 and noticing there's some great similarities, all right? So let me give you a couple minutes, and then we'll come back and make a list. <clears throat> This guy. Hey, David. Good to see you. Coach, how I'll are tell you, buddy? You, Josiah's eating it up. Is He's loving it. Yeah, so oh, thank you. Awesome. Yeah, it's great. Thanks for the ministry. I'm not getting any help.
give you 10 more seconds. <laughs> I know, we could spend all hour, but... <clears throat> Okay, let's come back together, and let's make a little list here of the two individuals. There's a quote on the first part of, the, of your notes, first page, from Murrow's book, when, Why Men Hate Going to Church. He states, you cannot have a thriving church without a core of men who are true followers of Christ. If men are dead, the church is dead. And that is so true. And that's why I love this ministry. It's a, Lord willing, we're equipping you to go back into your local churches as well as in your homes and your businesses and we, we need men of conviction that's what moeller stated uh, it's the last quote of the notes forgive me for reading it but it's so good al moeller who's president of southern states contrast the priority of convictional intelligence with the the models of leadership that are often found and even admired in some christian circles charisma is a great gift it cannot substitute for conviction the same is true of personality skills, gift of communication, media presence, and organizational abilities. None of these things can qualify a Christian leader when conviction is absent or weak. And what we see with these two young men, I'm going to give you one right now, that is conviction, right? There is no question their allegiance to the Lord, right? Both Timothy and Epaphroditus. What else do you see, though, in the text? Between the two, there's some great similarities. Help me out. I'll call on you. I'm not afraid. <laughs> Every... Yeah, there is a perseverance, isn't there? Um, these, these guys are not going to waver. Well, this is the A team. <laughs> you know, if you're putting a group of guys together... You know, a little secret for those of you who teach. This was a given to me, or you're coaching, uh, working with a group, a larger group. <clears throat> this was a little secret was given to me, and it worked at least for me when I was teaching a section of 150 students in New Testament, etc. I always targeted the ringleaders of the subgroups. You know, you got your jocks over here. You got your yeah, you know, you're artsy-fartsy over here. You got your nerds over here. I'm not saying that. But you got these groups. And, and if I could get the leaders of those groups, it was a domino effect. And it, it, it's, it really was quite effective. You think about, Je look at Jesus' leadership style. They only picked 12. And if you look, there's three who are always constantly in the lead, mentioned in the same position. Because he broke them in down into groups. And then... There was only a select few they got to, to, to see certain things like the Mount of Transfiguration, right? You, you, you can't possibly pour into hundreds of people. But if you can do the, hit the influencers, and, and I think that's what Paul's doing. He's at Lystra and Derby. He goes, that young man I need, he's dynamite. I, I know he's got conviction. I know he's going to persevere. You know, there's Epaphroditus. It's, it's very strategic. And, and I challenge you, look at Jesus' ministry. It's very interesting 
Uh, and you look at the laundry list of disciples. There's three names that are constant. They're always in the same position because I think they're the leaders of the subgroups. But anyway, I'm starting to that deviate again. What else do we know about these guys? Help me out. <clears throat> yeah, they are definitely servants. It's not about them. I mean, just read First and Second Timothy, especially Second Timothy. What else do we see? Yeah, they're trustworthy. Paul spent a lot of time establishing the church at Philippi. He's not going to give it to someone who's going to mess it up. Right? Or Ephesus. <laughs> you don't do that to some schleb, right? What else do we see? What else here? Help me out. Yeah, Kyle. Yeah, there is humility here, isn't there? Remember, what spurred this whole conversation on in his epistle? Walk worthy of the gospel and then look to the needs of others, right? First chapter, chapter 2, first part, walking in humility. And they're just exemplifying what Paul's talking about. This is how we live the spiritual life. Yeah, Bill. Yeah, diligence. By the way, those terms, soldier, worker, etc., that he's used of Epaphroditus, he uses, Paul uses to describe the Christian life later in 2 Timothy. It's all tied together. And Paul knows a lot about soldiers, and so does the church at Philippi, because many of them are veterans. What else do we see? Yeah, Rick. Yeah, they are well-seasoned. These are not men who um, just happen to embrace the faith. Uh, they, they've been well-equipped and trained. Yeah, good. Yeah, oh, excellent. Did you catch that? There, there is a, an intimate relationship. I use that in a healthy way. Intimate relationship between these men. Timothy and Epaphroditus have to know one another. Well, let me give you my, take it or leave it. Here's a list that I came up with. Both men are intimately involved. You, you highlighted that in the lives, not only of Paul, but the Philippian believers, right? They, they know what's happening in the church, and they are faithful to the task. You highlighted that. They're unselfish as they are motivated by their love for the Lord and for others. That comes screaming through the text. Right? <clears throat> Find me a group of young men who are modeling this, and you're going to, you got some <laughs> things that are going to happen. I mean, it, both men are unwavering in their tasks despite facing adversity. Uh, and then one more both men are deeply concerned about the welfare of the saints. So you ask me, how, how would you compare them? Here's what I'm seeing between these men. Give me a group of guys, right? I don't care how young or old they are, and uh, you're going to turn the church upside down. And as stated at the beginning of these notes, you know, we probably shouldn't record this. I think one of the reasons why men are called to be the elders of the church is because most men would allow the women to do it. 
we wouldn't step up to the plate. I mean, just look, look at churches, look at the population. You got a ton of women and kids, but it's the men. We, we need men passionate about the Lord. I'm preaching to the choir, so keep it up. And I, I think that's what Murrow is saying in his book. You can't have a thriving church if men aren't present. So anyway, now I am starting to preach, so we'll move on. Let me give you three things to walk away with. We look at Timothy as we look at Epaphroditus. What, what, what can we say today? Three things. Number one, Christian commitment to doctrine, and that they are, cannot be separated from a passion for the Lord and for others. They go in tandem. Paul has two prongs to his ministry. One was to preach the gospel. The other was to take up collection for the saints in Jerusalem. They went together. I mean, look at Paul's writings. Yeah, he's concerned about doctrine, but he's also concerned about caring for the needs of the others. In fact, if you weigh too much on either side, you got a problem. You either become the frozen chosen or you become a social gospel. You got to have both. And that's what is seen here in the lives of these two young fellows. I guess Epaphroditus is young. We're going to call him young. At my age, everyone's starting to seem young. Uh, Christian commitment is a pattern for life, simply not when things are going well, but even in the midst of hardship, right? Acts 11, Paul says, remain true with devoted hearts. Well, that's actually the exhortation uh, to to the church. Remain true, And, and, and that's what we're seeing with these guys. It doesn't matter, you know, if they're uh, leading people to Christ as Timothy is at Philippi or he's with his leader, his mentor, and seeing his, possibly seeing his mentor being executed, he's faithful. And that's the call to task. And then third, and you know this, but Christian commitment is synonymous with serving others for God's glory. Look at 1 Peter 4. I want to just close with this reference today. 1 Peter 4. 8 through 10. <clears throat> we, we studied 1 Peter some time ago. And Peter delivers these words. He says in verse 8, Above all, keep your love for one another fervent. Which means, by the way, what? That it can wane. <laughs> uh, yes, it can wane. Uh, he says keep it. That, it, it you've got to be on the offense. You're not going to win this game if you don't. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Whoever speaks, let it be with God's words. Whoever serves, do it with the strength that God supplies. So that, here's the reason for all of this, in everything, God will be glorified. Right? And so you look at these guys' lives... And it's very clear, it's to glorify God, right? That's the bottom line. And Paul says to the church at Philippi, listen, look to Christ, you can look to me, but I got two other examples for you as role models. I got Timothy and I got Epaphroditus, and they are faithful. And so in the middle of his epistle, you wouldn't expect this uh, in some ways, he, he, he's not deviating, but he's just kind of going further down this path of, of what it means to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. And we got these two guys. 
you know, heaven's going to be great. Not only are we in the presence of the Lord, but all those who've gone before us. But I can't wait to meet Timothy, right? What was it like when Paul was writing this letter and, and, and you know, uh, charging hell with the water pistol? This is awesome. You know, tell, tell Epaphroditus, tell me about the church. Tell me about, you know, how things, you know, panned out there at the end as you, you brought the, the letter back to the church, et cetera. But they were faithful so that the, the gospel could go forth, but ultimately that God could be glorified. Questions, comments, cries of outrage? It's a great letter, isn't it? Next week, Paul turns up the heat a little bit because he's going to address the false teachers, but he, he starts with a whole kind of a, a short little autobiography of his experience. It's going to blow your mind. Uh, even rereading it and thinking through all that Paul had and he was willing to give up for the cause of Christ. So we're going to look at that uh, next week. But Well, I hope you like this arrangement. It does make us seem much smaller, more intimate, so I like that. So uh, Tom's complaining about it? Okay, all right. Well, we'll... <laughs> uh, well let, let me pray. And uh, as you go forth, may the Lord allow you to be a role model to those around you. Uh, may we be another Timothy. Father, we just thank you for your word. <clears throat> and these two, one not so obscure, the other one certainly obscure, uh, individuals that are uh, quickly mentioned in this epistle, and then Paul just moves forward. But in so doing, we see two amazing examples of godly manhood, two men who are willing to say, yeah, I'll stand in the gap. Two men who, who are faithful to the task. Why? It's not about them. It was ultimately about glorifying you. Father, may we be men of conviction. And may, at the end of the day, if you should tarry and uh, we pass, may those standing at that coffin say, yep, yeah, there is a man who modeled Christ well. And I am so grateful for him. Lord, may that be said of us. Well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we love you. Be with these men today. Guide them. Thank you. Bless them for the time they've carved out of their busy schedules. In Jesus' name, amen.